welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Some of those people that are involved um, in the ministries of MMBC are sitting around the table with me right now. Um, there is uh, Tim Michelangeli, geocache legend Scott Slater, <laughs> and <laughs> passing on the baton to the next generation. <laughs> Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened <laughs> to you. Um, yeah, and Pastor Dave is not with us this week. He's on vacation with his family. Um, and so he won't be joining us today. We miss him, but, uh, we're going to sit around today, continue our discussion through the Baptist faith and message, uh, walking through it, uh, kind of chapter by chapter. Um, the Baptist faith and message of course is the statement of faith, the confession, if you want to use that word of the Southern Baptist convention and of all those churches that seek to cooperate with it, um, in its, in its work. So we've been walking through that. We've talked about the scriptures. We've talked about who God is. We've talked about man. We've talked about salvation. Uh, this week, we come to the chapter entitled God's Purpose of Grace. God's Purpose of Grace. And I will open up here reading. I just want to read the, the opening bit of it before we, we then go into what talk, break it down a little bit. Uh, but it says this, election is the gracious purpose of God according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means in connection with the end. It is the di glorious display of God's sovereign goodness and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility. Um, and oh, what the heck, I'll just read the rest of it. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation." Okay, so that's the section here that we're going to talk about today. God's purpose of grace is what the chapter is titled and, um, and such. And so I've break it, broken it down here into two basic sections because there's really two big sections underneath this. And if you don't, if like um, the, the Baptist faith and message was based off of a previous confession, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, and this section was actually two original chapters. It was two chapters. Uh, one was on election, uh, God's purpose of grace in election. And the second chapter was on perseverance of the saints. And here they grouped them together, kind of clumped those two together under one category of God's purpose in grace. So you've got one, on the one hand, we've got election, God's gracious purpose, the gracious purpose of God. And then we have perseverance, which is talking about that we are kept by God's power, kept by his power. So, um, as we approach this, um, this, uh, this chapter of the Baptist faith and message, um, we've just talked about salvation. How is this chapter building off of what we just talked about with salvation, where we talked about words like regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. How does this chapter, uh, build off of and connect with what we talked about previously? 
I wasn't here. I don't know what you guys said. I can't be held responsible for what you said. I mean, you did not listen to the podcast? Has it come out? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Last nope. week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry. I apologize. I haven't listened. I thought that was your job as senior pastor was to listen to everything we say and to Usually. evaluate it. And but I was on vacation. <laughs> What more enjoyable exercise could there be? <laughs> what more? Enjoy- yeah. You weren't on vacation last week, were you? Not last no, Thursday. No. no, you weren't. No, not when it came Don't out. you dare say that. He needed a vacation from his yeah, vacation. Oh, gosh. No. Did you guys do a good job with it? Salvation? I, I, I thought it was, yeah, it was just, a, I mean, a, a great episode. So could you remind me of the highlights real quick? Most downloads ever. Could you remind me of the highlights real quick? Scott, could you? <laughs> I can't. Oh, it was powerful though. It was, powerful. <laughs> it was lasting impact. Yeah, it was lasting impact. Yeah, I bet. So, like so to go back to your question, what's the connection between yeah, the two? Yeah. If if all of those things are wrapped up in salvation of what salvation is, this is kind of asking the question, well, how does all of that come about? How does all of that happen? And it happens because of God's purpose of grace. Mm. Yeah, so to be fair, I think we would agree. I don't know. I guess I've, I've talked to Spencer about it some. Scott maybe might have a different opinion. But the Baptist faith and the message, this section, God's purpose of grace, is kind of open to discussion. Uh, what I mean by that is it's not as tight as some other denominations and some other confessions would uh, define election and what that means because there are some different routes that people have took throughout church history and it seems as if the Baptist faith and message is open to accept some differing views of election into the convention together to cooperate together and it seems to have been done purposefully even the people who are writing the Baptist faith and message come from different views and so it seems to play out in uh in what it says here. And traditionally, those viewpoints are known by the names of Calvinism or Arminianism. Yeah. The, yeah. Right? Those are the, some some people don't understand what those terms mean, but both of those terms right. are found, you'll find people in the SBC embracing to various degrees yeah. the, the ideas associated with those terms right. as properly understood. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so it seems if you study Southern Baptist history... It seems that early on, Calvinism was probably the uh, the main the the most common viewpoint of election uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. You guys might know better than me, but at some point that seems to have turned uh, about the beginning of the twentieth century. Okay, that changed. Yeah, Yeah. you might say, "Well, where does that come from?" Well, I know uh, Spencer, you've given us some things here that kind of show some of some of that, but. Uh, we can go back to uh, James Boyce, who is the one who started the Southern Baptist Seminary, right? The Southern Baptist yeah. Theological. Yeah. The, yeah. The, was that the first, apart from the mission boards, that was like the first entity ever created, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ever. Yeah. So And so he had wrote uh, kind of, it was called the Abstract of Principles that the those who would uh, serve at the seminary had to agree to. And that document is uh, very Calvinistic in its view of election. And then, uh, like we said, uh, some 
things started to change with it, the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, they had their little their squabbles over certain things. But when you started to get the Baptist faith and message written, what was it in twenty seven? Nineteen twenty five. Twenty five was the first one. And now we have the Baptist Faith and Message two thousand. We have this, which seems to be more open to both a Calvinistic view and an Arminian view. Uh, to come together to cooperate together, and both could say yes. We both agree. We we both sides can agree to what this statement says, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, I think personal opinions aside of whether that's healthy or not, it is what we have, right? right? You're um, you're just describing reality. Yeah, I'm just trying to describe reality uh, because definitely you can look through our history since even this was written and you can see that this has caused fights within the Southern Baptist Convention. You've had Calvinists and Arminians fighting uh, over who's right and saying, can we serve together? Well, we can cooperate together. We might not be able to serve together, but we can cooperate together uh, and give for missions and for the seminaries and different things. And you've even seen within the Southern Baptist Convention, some some seminaries seem to be more Calvinistic, some tend to be more Arminian, and then they kind of fight and argue and... Uh, they need football teams so they could just battle it out on the football field. Uh, they don't seem to have that. The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary has a basketball team. It's the team. SEC. Boyce, yeah, Boyce, Boyce does, right? Boyce does. Yeah, that's right. Boyce yeah. does. Boyce the, does. The SEC is just really the... And Midwestern. I mean, Midwestern has a basketball team now. Yeah, Spurgeon College. Yeah, Spurgeon yeah. College. Yeah, yeah. What are they called? I can't remember. I don't know. I used know. to know what they were called. I don't Anyways. know. Probably the cigars or something like <laughs> that. <laughs> the beards. Yeah. The beards. The stogies. No. <laughs> stogies. <Yeah. laughs> I can't remember what they are now. Anyways, I think those might be the only two. The Holy Smokes. <laughs> Spencer, uh, yeah, that would be a career that for you. That would be cool, right? That would be a good career like for you to angry, feed those An angry-looking cigar ready to fight. Oh, man. Uh, sorry. But man. anyways, yes, you're right. I, I think we're just trying to speak reality. This is the reality. This is what it is. Now, down the road, cause, could that cause problems? Probably. I mean, yeah. For sure, uh, it seems that at one point it seemed to be coming ahead, but then new problems came in that kind of pushed that stuff aside. And that's, and that's what I was going to say is like, as long as we're just speaking of what this is, when this came out, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, the big fight in the Southern Baptist Convention was not over Calvinism versus Arminianism. It was over liberalism mm-hmm. and and what do we believe about the Word of God? Yep. Right. And so Calvinists and Arminians in that in the Southern Baptist Convention, they were able to lock hands and say, "Well, we might not agree about this over here, but we can agree about this." Mm-hmm. That was the big fight that was going on at that time. Right. And so that's what that's why I think this is maybe part of the way it is it's left open. Right. It well, it was and it was designed, I think, probably in 1925 as a compromise document of sorts, even back then, and continued yeah. to, to where even on the 2000 um, edition, it was chaired, I believe, by Adrian Rogers, right, famous pastor from Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would have him who would not be, I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think he would necessarily embrace Calvinism, right, no. but where you would have also Al Mohler serving on the same committee to revise the same statement of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, Scott, both pushing against people who are saying, well, the Bible is not inerrant or infallible. Um, yeah. or, you and, know. That's, and that's the pattern of pretty much every confession of faith that's ever happened is in the face of there's a disagreement happening. We need to actually define what we believe about this. And so every confession of faith, I would, I mean, that's a, that's a big statement right there, but 
a lot of the confessions of faith that would be written or rewritten or a new one modified from an old one, that's why it's being written. It's being updated because there's some new controversy that's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. where it's like we need to define what we think here sure. on this, yep. right? Yep. And so that's that's fair for us to do and say of, of the Baptist faith and message as well. Sure. That's why it's sure. been through revisions. Right, right. So I have a study book uh, on the Baptist faith and message that was produced by Lifeway. Authors are uh, Charles S. Kelly Jr., Richard Land, and Albert Moeller Jr. It's, I don't know if it's still if you can still buy it or not, I, I really don't have any idea. But in this section, they say they say this uh, in one of their paragraphs. They say, throughout the history of the church, Christians have struggled to find the best way to reconcile God's sovereignty and humanity's free will. Although Baptists have included believers who hold different, different understandings of how these truths are to be affirmed, we stand together on the great truth that God alone saves sinners. We're united in affirming both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. This is our common faith. We can exclaim with Paul, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. Uh, and so I, I kind of think I kind of think Chuck Kelly was on the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as well. Do you guys know? Anyway, Al Muller was, and he's one of the, you know, who helped write write this here. To maybe try to help us understand the thinking yes, as he was. Yeah. Was Richard Land? Yes. Okay. Was. So all these guys were and Fred Luter. Yeah. So all these guys were who then made the wrote this study guide. So it helps us maybe see a little bit into their mind as a team of what they were doing. And this is what they were saying is we even though we have differing views of how election plays out or what that really means, what the Bible teaches about it, we are willing to all sit here and agree that God alone saves sinners. Uh, and so that's what we have to talk about. You know, it's, it's it's interesting today. You can come across people, if you bring up the word election, they want to shut you out right away. And it's like, wait, you can't deny it if you're a Bible believer. It's in the Bible. It, we saw that in Ephesians as we've been going through Ephesians right away in the first chapter. It's talked about. And so, yes, you have to do some study to define it and what does it mean. But it seems like what they're saying here is God has a plan that God is sovereign uh, that God alone is the one who can save people, but also the Bible speaks of this idea of free will, that we're responsible for our, our sin, that we do have, we do choose, we do have the freedom to make decisions and a conscience and all these different things. And some way, some shape or form, these two thoughts have to come together of, of God's plan, God's sovereignty, and man's free will. And it seems like what they said with the Baptist is there's going to be difference of opinion. Where can we agree? Let's agree on this. If we can agree on this, then we can work together. And so that's why we have the the statement that we have. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so election is God's purpose, it says. So it's his purpose. It's um, the word is interesting because the word purpose is used in Ephesians one, five and one, nine. That's probably, um, we have, he says uh, in Ephesians, uh, let according me to the purpose of his will. Right. You have been predestined according to the purpose of his will. And then also it's used in 1 9, where it says there, uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And um, you can look at commentaries and such, and the, the idea of what does this word purpose mean? Well, the idea of purpose here seems pretty clear. It's talking about God's good pleasure. 
his free or sovereign purpose. Uh, Charles Hodge has a good section on Ephesians about this word, the specific term. Um, and it's, it's used actually when Jesus says in Matthew 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, remember where he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But he says before that, he says, father, I thank you that you have hidden this from the wise and the understanding and have revealed it to little children, to babes for such was your gracious will. The idea there is God decided to do it and he, he, he did it out of his good pleasure because he wanted to, it pleased him to do so. Um, and it's also used similarly in Philippians two thirteen that same kind of uh, meaning, a deciding good pleasure. God decided um, to do this. So our salvation is not rooted in uh, a decision of man, but it's rooted in God's good pleasure. He did not have to do this. No one forced God to make salvation a reality in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was because of his own good pleasure that he decided to do it and to bring it about. Um, and, and and so that's that's what he did. So when we're thinking about a purpose of grace, though, specifically, because this is, I think, one of the key qualifiers this chapter is trying to make, because God has a purpose in everything, but here it's specifically talking about election as God's gracious purpose. So it's talking about something that's related to um, salvation in grace, where God looks to us and saves us, not because of who we are or because of what we do or because of what we might do, but despite who we are and only because of his compassion and love given to unworthy sinners. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about election as God's purpose of grace, his gracious purpose, emphasizing the unworthiness of us, the objects of his grace and mercy and love and compassion um, in Jesus Christ. So um, that's kind of digging in a little bit as we're breaking down what is it talking about. Um, And so like Tim, you pointed out earlier, what did this mean? Well, in the past, one of the ways that uh, Southern Baptist and the, the abstract of principles talked about election, they specifically defined it this way as election is God's eternal choice. This is from the abstract of principles, which still governs Southern seminary is God's eternal choice of some persons unto everlasting life, not because of foreseen merit in them. That's the grace part, not because of foreseen merit in them, but of his mere mercy in Christ in consequence of which choice they are called justified and glorified. So our salvation, the beginning cause of everything, if you ask, well, why am I saved? What is the root cause? It's because of God's grace. It's not because of anything you did. Um, and so it's highlighting the fact that it's not of works, Ephesians 2.9. It's all of grace, free love. Um what do you guys think about that? Is that an important doctrine to emphasize to Christians? Do they need to hear that, um, that their salvation is all of grace? What would happen if we, if we didn't remember that? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's huge because, uh, it takes it off of, off of me because I seem to fail all the time at the stuff I'm supposed to be doing according to scripture. Uh, even as a Christian, as one who believes that it's the work of God that he has done in my life through Christ, that Christ has done it all, uh, that he has paid my payment, right? That he's my redeemer. Uh, the Bible then says, if this is all true in your life and you're in Christ, then t- 
live this way, right, for his glory. And I find that to be impossible. I, I try. Even even having the power of the Holy Spirit in me, mm-hmm. I try, and I still fall short. And so, to me, that that idea that it's out of God's good pleasure and mm-hmm. his mercy that he has saved me mm-hmm. then helps me to realize that as I fall short, uh, it doesn't take God by surprise. It doesn't doesn't cause him then to wonder, well, maybe maybe I messed up with Tim because it's not really about me in the end. It's what he has done for me. So it gives me this security, but it also draws me closer to him because of the great love I know that he has for me. You know, you think about the verse, while I was still, it doesn't say I, but making it personal, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's a that's a, a great thought and a thing to, to reflect on. Uh, in understanding my weaknesses and in my and my struggles mm-hmm. and in my failures is that although I failed and I seem to continue to fail, even though I see growth as well, I see growth and I thank God for that, but I still see these failures. I'm reminded that my welcome into the kingdom of God and into his family as my father isn't based off of the good things I've done or the fact that God looked and saw that you'll end up being good enough. No, it's Christ is good enough and you are in him. And uh, so for me, understanding that more and trying to understand that better is it brings to light the passage when Jesus would say, take my yoke upon you and my, Mm -hmm. you know, it's this burden is easy and it's like rest here. I think that's what Jesus, that that's the rest that I have is it's not, he took that yoke and I'm taking his yoke, but he took that yoke and did all the work and finished it. And yep. so now I have that yoke on me. It's finished. It's completed. It's over. Right. And I can rest in that. I was going to say that emphasizing the grace of God and that this is the part of the election is focusing on the grace, the purpose of grace. What that does is it it humbles us to a point and it begs the question of why did God save us? What What is the overarching cosmic purpose of our salvation. You know, God did not have to do it. So why did he do it? Um, and this was actually a huge theme, or actually the theme of youth camp, what we're thinking about youth camp right now, because I'm trying to get it ready for a couple weeks. But last year's theme of youth camp was riches. And that was based off of verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2, which says, so with him, oh, I'm sorry, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And I think the focus, what that verse is saying, is that the whole purpose, the whole reason for for which God saves us is so that he might put on display how good he is. Right, that that's the purpose of our salvation. It's like Tim said, it's not to make us feel good about ourselves, it's not to elevate us, it is meant to elevate God. And to make God the biggest and the best and the most worthy of praise. And that that's what's behind God's purpose of grace is what what glorifies him the most. Right? And that's what it is. There's a quote here from that I got from um, uh, Tom Nettles where he says, this is the commentary on the Baptist Faith of Message 2000 from Southern Seminary. And he says, such a display of sovereign goodness humbles its recipient to the dust and absolutely excludes any synergy in this salvation 
and renders boasting of any sort an utter nullity. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's what's behind the purpose yeah. of God using grace to save us, is that he is the one who gets all of the credit. He is the one who gets all of the glory for what he has done. And all we have to do is bask in that yeah. and receive that right. and worship him for that. Right. I think that one of the things that happens is is when this doctrine is when when properly understood and when put in its proper place people see this is a doctrine of comfort not a doctrine of limitation sometimes it's presented as a doctrine of uh of uh, keeping people out of heaven or a doctrine of scary stuff but actually this is a doctrine of extreme comfort and extreme uh it's the thing that faith relies upon. I mean, this is what, Mo, remember Deuteronomy 7, God says, uh, Moses tells them, the Lord didn't choose you because you were great. The Lord didn't choose you because of your righteousness. The Lord chose you because he loves you. And that's what that's what this election is, because he loves you, because he sent his son and he gave up his son for you. So it anchors our salvation in its origin in God. It continues it in God and as we talk about later here in the preservation part, it, it, it's sustained completely by him from first to last. So it's, it's, it's gracious. It's a purpose. It's consistent with man's will and responsibility. So when we say this, by the way, some people say, well, so there's going to be a bunch of people who don't believe that get grace. No, no, actually God, God in his graciousness creates faith for people to receive the gift that he offers to all men. And even that faith is a gift. It worked by the spirit. Um, and so it's not like um, it's that God makes us willing joyfully to receive um, salvation. And as we've talked about here in the, in the Baptist faith, the message explicitly says this, it glorifies God. It's a display of God's greatness and it humbles us. Um, it does both of those things, which the Baptist faith and message talks about. It humbles us. And election was meant to humble Israel. And it's the same doctrine is meant to humble believers in the New Testament, just like it was meant to humble Israel, um, because um, we have nothing to boast of. Uh, Paul will say to the Corinthians, who made you to differ? Who cha- who, who, what, what is the difference between you? And the only thing we can say is just God's grace. It's nothing. It's nothing in us that we did, nothing we can boast of. Um, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were smart or strong. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and so it's all about all about His goodness um, to us um, in Christ. Yeah, I think part of that goodness is what leads to the second part of what you read and what we're heading to is the perseverance, the perseverance side. Yeah, because I think if you get the grace part wrong, it then leads to no perser. You know that right that you can then. Uh, so this is a good point because these are these are actually logically and scripturally these two are connected mm-hmm. because what are we not saying are we saying that God has grace upon people because he knows they will believe in him right no i would think no no no, no. so but see that's where we would say then the perseverance is guaranteed mm-hmm. because the beginning of your salvation was not given to you because God knew that you yourself would believe. Mm-hmm. It's because he chose you and has grace upon you that you then believe. Um and it's not because of your works otherwise so actually both of these things are like two ends of a strong chain. They go together. 
um, they 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 anchor they anchor together. So they stand or fall um, uh, together ultimately, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean the writers of this study guide again, they're people who are on this committee uh, and teaching about this enduring to the end. Quote John ten twenty nine. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. But then they go on in proving this to say this. In Isaiah 40, the prophet wrote about God's power and greatness. He asked, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The obvious implication is that God has done so. The psalmist also wrote, the depths of the earth are in his hand. The great God of the universe who holds the mighty oceans in the palm of his hand also holds believers in Christ securely in his hand. So they're taking what is said in John 10 about the Father has given them to me, Jesus says, and he holds them in his hand. Also in the Old Testament, we always have this image of God holding the oceans in his hands, and the thought then behind it is nobody can snatch the oceans out of God's mm-hmm. hands. The oceans itself cannot leave the hand of God. Mm-hmm. They are completely in his control and that then is what's being said in John 10, that mm-hmm. the Father has given these to Christ, that's right. the election thing, and that he then holds them in his hand. It's unshakable. Mm-hmm. It's unmovable. You're right? It can't go away, which is then what we stand on, on this whole enduring to the end, right. that it's not based off of, again, how good I can hold on to it. Right. Because I'm not holding on to anything. He is holding on to me, right? Because your if your faith is sourced out of yourself, then you can lose that faith. Right. But if your faith is yeah, sourced right. ultimately by God, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, He will keep that faith. Yes, to the end. Yeah. I mean, the same idea is is uh, portrayed here in Romans chapter eight. Um, he's Paul logically is making a giant chain. This is sometimes I think called the golden chain. Um, those whom he foreknew. And by that, Paul is talking about foreknew, meaning he loved. He It was his good pleasure. He loved them. He predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So everybody who's foreknown eventually gets gets glorified, and the whole cha- they participate in that whole chain of blessings. Mm-hmm. So you can't. It's not like you can get justified. And then fail in the end right. and not persevere and be glorified. There's this wonderful security that we have yeah. in Jesus Christ. And I think this is what's so difficult for people because they go to church their whole life and they've seen people come. They've seen people, and I would do quotes, quote unquote, get saved. And then they see them fall away and not have anything to do with church anymore and live a life very contrary to scripture. And they would say, see, these people, were they not saved? Like what was happening here? Did they fall away? Um where I, I would say they are those that Hebrew talks about who maybe had a taste of of the joy of the of the spirit, but they've proven themselves, they've proven because of their lack of faith, their their lack of perseverance, they've proven that it is not true, that it was something they did on their own. Yeah, that, that workbook that you were referencing, yeah. it, it references uh, talking about that question, first mm-hmm. John two nineteen. When it says, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. Yeah. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Mm-hmm. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. Mm. I right. think that helps clarify sometimes a misunderstanding that people have when we're talking about like election and God's purpose of grace. It's important to recognize that this is God's purpose of grace. This idea of election that we're talking about, this exists in God, not in us. 
not not in the church. We are not the ones who say, yes, you're in. Right. No, you're not. This is this exists in the mind of God. There's no way for me to know where somebody's heart truly is. God knows that. You know, this isn't something that we do as a church. This is something God does in his eternal purpose. And we, yeah, and, and as a local church, all we can do is judged by the visible fruits as best we can. And Scripture calls us to. Yes. Scripture calls us to judge ourselves, yeah. you know, to examine yeah. ourselves mm-hmm. even. Sure. Right? And that doesn't call into question God's goodness and God's right. the grace that God gives. It, it actually recognizes the reality of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we see that in the book of James. I mean, you're... What what God has done in your life is going to play out in works. It's mm-hmm. it's going to end up happening that way, right? And that's why it's so hard for some, I think, to distinguish the two from each other, faith and works. Right? They mm-hmm. start to get confused, and then it, it it's this slippery slope where you start to think, well, maybe mm-hmm. uh, since I haven't seen done this, this, and this, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Then right, and they struggle right. with that. Uh, well, and that's a good leadway into this little part here, though, because the Baptist faith message specifically says true believers may fall into sin. Mm-hmm. And we, you read the story of the Bible, you read believers falling into really bad sins. David oh. murdering, Almost committing all adultery. Of, I, mean, all I mean, all of Lot, <laughs> righteous Lot, yeah. right? I mean, Peter you're denying Christ. Peter denying Christ. You see um, all sorts of sins going on in I the. I mean, uh, Peter and Paul fight. In Galatians, I yeah, know, Paul. Yeah, yeah, like, what would, are you doing, Peter? You're, you're right. being, but you're wrong here, right? right I mean, we right. see there's a, a yeah. It, there's the whole Bible. I mean, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham committing sins. Uh, Isaac showing favoritism to one of mm-hmm. his sons. Jacob, a cheater and a liar. <laughs> I mean, the the list keeps going. A Solomon, mm-hmm. um, and so the point isn't that this is right. But it's not that believers don't sin. It's that true believers, by God's grace repent and come back to Christ because of the Holy Spirit's work in there. He keeps them. So we're not saying people don't sin as believers. Um, believers commit, can come. There's, I don't know that there's a depth of sin that a true believer cannot fall into uh, short of, you know, they can't lose their salvation because Christ is going to sustain the faith in them. Even if it just seems like a small glimmering coal, that's just going, but there's there's no level of sin that you that you know you read about believers in the in the Old Testament or the New Testament committing. They commit really heinous sins. It doesn't mean we should go do that, yeah. but I'm just saying that's the power of God's grace to even preserve them from destruction. Whenever we ourselves would naturally head that way, I think it's what makes it so hard for us. Is we like things cut and dry. It's like tell me how many. Mm-hmm. How many sins can I commit before it's proven I'm not really a Christian? Or how much time can I spend away from the Lord? You know, it's like, well, you know, my son was saved in vacation Bible school. He's been out of the church for seven years. Is he not a Christian or is he a Christian? Right? They, we want these concrete things, and we just don't have we just don't have that. I don't. Right. I don't have that. Right. Right. And it does say again, like Scott, like you had said, um, we are to look at people's fruit. And determine things. And there are times where Paul says, treat them as an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. If this is happening, start to treat them as an unbeliever, probably because there's a chance they are. They are an unbeliever. Uh, or if they are a believer, they need to be hearing these things again, like an unbeliever, mm-hmm. to get them back uh, into the fold. Not to get them back, their salvation back at that point, but to get them back into the fold with us here. 
So it, it is difficult, but I think we just live in a place in a time where we want things cut or dry. Give me the law. What does the law say? Okay, I can go 55 miles an hour, right? If I go 60, am I still good? I mean, we even kind of do that mm-hmm. still, right? If I go 70, nope, then you're going to jail. Okay, then I'm, I'm going to set my cruise for 68, right? That's what I'm going to do. That's where I'm safe. Nine this, over is the safe zone. Yeah. Ten, you cross the line. <laughs> yeah. This is where I'm comfortable. Michigan's we, nice because you can speed more so, I feel like, in Michigan than yeah, you can in sure. other states. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's gracious. It's a gracious it's state. It's a gracious state. Wow. We're full of grace. I invite everybody here to go drive in Louisville for a day. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, we just we try to toe the line. What is enough? But also you have people who are just so concerned I don't know if I'm a Christian. There's just this doubt. Mm-hmm. And they, again, that's putting that a lot of that on your shoulders again. I would say not understanding the work of Christ in your life and what he has done. And it's like this surety where they're saying, there's no way I can be a Christian and still think these thoughts, mm. right? Or still feel this way. And it's like, well, have you trusted in Christ? Have you believed in him and what he has said? Yes, I do. Then you're a Christian. Right. We still try to get better. Of right. course, we God's continuing to shape us and work in us, but we're never going to achieve the end. We are never going to be like Christ until we see Christ. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so, I, I personally, I think it varies. I'm sure there's people who are saved in vacation Bible school as a 12 year old, and then they finally return when they're 25 or 30. I'm sure that's happened. Yeah, I, I would say that's out of the ordinary. Maybe I don't know. But I'm sure, I'm sure it's happened. You know, there's some who never really fall away in that way. They don't leave the church, but they have hidden sin or struggle with sin. And I think every Christian really knows that. And I think that's why they get so scared, maybe, of this stuff. Is there? I don't know. There. I don't know. I, I know that Satan uses all of these things mm-hmm. in our lives to help deceive us, to cause doubt. Uh, and this seems to be a big area uh, for him. Mm-hmm. And and. There are some churches, there are denominations who believe very different than us as Southern Baptists. They would not have this part on perseverance. Right. It wouldn't be, their confession would say something very different. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I think even, I think those denominations have a very hard time defining that because then they do really have to set up, like, when do I lose it? Mm-hmm. I've never seen a good explanation of that personally. I don't know if you guys have. Mm-mm. I never have of like, because I think they have to set up parameters. And I know, I remember a time, this was this was a long time ago, a student committed suicide. They didn't attend this church. They attended a different church. And that church did teach that you could lose your faith. And so then everybody thought, well, this has to be one of those things that mm-hmm. you lose it for. You mm-hmm. just killed yourself. You know, right. I remember having to deal with that with some teens and some different stuff, even in our own, because they, you know, what, did, what are they saying, you know? And uh, so... It's definitely out there mm-hmm. uh, the other way. Yeah, and these things are not meant to discourage holiness. They're no. actually meant to promote holiness mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Um, actually, that's that's one of the things that you see. We are, uh, is it in Ephesians 1? And also you think about in um, like First Peter as well, the idea of election and this whole idea of God's grace is actually meant to promote you. And to promote holiness, to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So, and that's that was the way it was for Israel. God said, I chose you. Now, therefore, love the Lord with all your heart. So, I think that's also important for people to hear that 
because sometimes, again, another misnomer is, well, if this is true, if I'm just kept by God's power and I can't lose my salvation, then why, why can't I just go live however I want to live? And we would say, well, you've, you've misunderstood what's actually happened. You've misunderstood what salvation's all about. And uh, when God saves you, he doesn't simply make you right with him, but he has actually united you to Jesus Christ, and the old you has died now. Mm-hmm. The new you in Christ has risen. So it's impossible. Like what you're saying is actually an impossibility. It cannot happen. As Paul Paul in Romans 6, that's his whole argument, mm-hmm. is really this question, it's, it's, a really, it's, a, it's not a real question because it's, the, the reality is different from what's happened in, in Christ's death and resurrection for us. Mm-hmm. So, I think people fear grace in a way like they think, if I really latch onto this grace thing and believe it, it's going to turn everybody into those rich kids who haven't done anything for their money and they don't, they don't respect their parents. Mm. They don't understand the work that came to get them that. And they just take it for granted and they just, they become jerks, you know, and Mm. they become whatever and useless or however it is. But, uh, that's not true. There's many of people in life who have been rich kids and actually what they want to do is they wanted to live up to their name, right? I want to live up to what my parents have done. I want to honor them and I want to then go and, and, uh, and, you know, so there's this opposite thought. And and what you were saying is we as Christians are more the thought of, I want to now live up to what God has done mm-hmm. for me. I want I want to work. I want the, the Holy Spirit to work through me. And I want to honor him and glorify him. Because that's what a good child would do. Right. You know, if your parents gave you a good life, you would honor your parents and you would love your parents. Sure, there's some bad apples and they're going to do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. But what the Bible says is we then honor our father Mm-hmm. By serving him, right? And right. these this good gifts that he's given us, right. this grace that he's given us, and this understanding that nothing will ever take us away from him. Mm-hmm. Nothing can can move us from him. And because of that, even more so now I want to honor him. Yeah. I want to yeah. I want to serve him and worship him. I think another fear that this understanding of God's grace causes in a lot of people is this idea then that I have no control then. Or what about the people who I love? That don't necess- that are not following the Lord. Does that mean that I have no control then? Mm. You know, what does that mean that's going to happen to them? You mm. know, and uh, and that's something that you you know wrestling through that. I mean, understanding. I mean, I honestly don't think that I really want control mm-hmm. in a situation like that because mm. if it's on me to be able to be clear enough, to be convincing enough, uh, to be bold enough or mm-hmm. consistent enough. I mean, I think that I would probably end up doing more damage mm. than if they were in the hands of God mm. and if I was relying on God and being prayerful about God working in that situation. You know, I guess that's just the way I think about yeah. that is who do I really want to be in control yeah. Yeah, of this be, situation? It'd be tough if you got to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And God's like, you know your friend uh, Jerry? Yeah. If you would have done more, Jerry would be here. Yeah. It's like, mm. oh my gosh. Yeah. But we don't have to worry about that happening right. because everybody who's supposed to be with God in eternity will be because it's God's work that does that. Now, God has been very kind to us to allow us to be a part of the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have the privilege of being able to share the gospel with Jerry, mm-hmm. my friend. It's and honestly knows, the God... only reason you can do it with confidence. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, if it's in myself, you... I'm worried enough of my kids being good citizens and making it in the world because I'm their dad, let alone you tell me I have to hang their eternal salvation on me too. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, but 
I think, like you said, some people would just struggle to say, God is a, the Bible tells us God's a good God. He's a kind God that all things are done for his good and his glory. And that includes the salvation of people. And we look at it from a human point to where we can start to say, I think I'm more loving than God because this person would Mm. be going to heaven. This person would be going Mm. to heaven. And then you become a universalist. Mm -hmm. You become someone who just says everybody should go to heaven. And then you're like, well, then is that, there's no, there's no uh, justification in you. There's no justice in you because there's things wrong. There's people guilty. Do you think everybody should just be let out of jail? No, probably not. You wouldn't say that. They, they deserve punishment. And, and so then there's this whole biblical theology of understanding of who we are and what we've done. And God has a bigger grasp on that than we ever do. It's his, it's his grasp. It's his plan. Um, and so what you said, you know, of wanting to have control is a, is a scary thing. It's a, it's a very tough thing to go down that road because you're going to find that you, it's going to crush you in the end. And really the only thing that is freeing is understanding that God is God. He is sovereign. And it's a, we, I know we say this all the time, but I, maybe we don't really understand. It's a good plan. It is a good plan. And I think sometimes we start to think, I think maybe I have a better plan. <laughs> no, you, no, you don't. Now you're now you're disobeying the Ten Commandments. You're putting yourself as God right. instead there's, of Him. Yeah, there's number one. <laughs> yeah. um, you will have no other gods. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. That's what me. I mean. You know, yeah. it's just all together. You got to think of all that th- all that through. And um, that's probably one of the most common things I do hear from people. It's like, but why wouldn't God want so and so to be a Christian? Well, Timothy says God desires all men to be saved. He does desire that. Now that might not be what happens. You know, so it, it is confusing. I know it can be a lot to wade through, but we just have to be careful about questioning God and his goodness because he alone is good. Mm-hmm. We think we are. We're not. You don't know yourself as well as you think. Uh, he alone is good, and it includes this. It includes um, election. It includes perseverance mm-hmm. and this stuff that we're talking, that, that yeah. the Best Faith Message is talking about. And if you think about, like, what is the mission that God has given the church in the Great Commission? It is not God's purpose to keep people away. Right, it's, yeah. It's not his purpose to keep as many away no. as he can. He he does not desire, he doesn't take pleasure in any man's destruction. He, mm-hmm. You know, the mission he's given us is to bring in as many as you can, mm-hmm. right? Work, like, work through the power of the Spirit to do this right. commission, right? And that's what we've been told right. to do. Right, And the only reason we can do it with confidence to know that God will do something right. is that he's promised that right. he will. We need to remember, I've said this before, it's not, it's, I'm not, I didn't come up with it, but the scandalous thing is not that there will people be people who die and go to hell. The scandalous thing is that there will be people who die and get to go to heaven forever with God. Mm-hmm. That's the scandal. That should not take place. We mm-hmm. do not deserve to have that, but God in his great grace has allowed that. Mm-hmm. And that offer is there. And as a church, we have the privilege of being able to go to people and offering that saying, this is God. This is what he's done. This is his son, Jesus. This is what he's done. Right. Do you believe? Take we, it. Take it. We have the privilege to say it. Right. And we have the privilege to say it with confidence. Take right. it. Right. If you will take it, right. it is yours. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. That's all we do. That's, That's what it. we do. Yeah. That's what we do. John says, um, we have the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is found in his son. And if we don't believe that testimony, we've made God a liar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... That is what we do. We proclaim the testimony, the truth that God has given us eternal life. It's found in his son. It's not. And if you don't have the son, you don't have eternal life. If you do have him, you do have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And um, 
to say that that's not for you and to receive it is to say that God is a liar and to, to reject God. And ultimately, that's what we get to do in evangelism. We don't save anybody. We just get a front row seat to watch God save everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what that's actually kind of the fun part of being a pastor is because you get a front row seat to see Jesus work and and open blind eyes and, um, you know, uh, give people ears to hear the gospel message. And so it's actually not us doing it. We are we're, we get he brings us along as like it's kind of like bring your kid to work day. And that's what God does. He brings us to work with him. So we can see what he's actually doing. And sometimes we think we're doing stuff and he lets us participate, but it's actually him who's got the power and making it happen. And he just, because he delights to let us see him work and to see his graciousness seen. And because he has elected people in Revelation, you read that the people that are in heaven are a vast multitude Mm-hmm. that no man can number from every nation, tribe, tongue, language, people group. And they are all there saying salvation belongs to the Lord, to God, and to the Lamb. Um, and so election is not keeping anybody out of heaven. It's bringing a whole bunch of people, fulfilling that promise that God gave to Abraham when he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, father of a multitude, of a horde of people. And that's exactly what you see in Revelation a whole horde of people from all the world over from all the ages brought together, saved by Christ. So, um, yeah, so that is what we believe about God's grace. That's, um, a great encouragement. Um, as we think about that now we're next week, we're going to talk about move from salvation to the church because the people that God, um, elects, keeps, justifies, calls, sanctifies, all of that. They are made members of, of the body of Christ, the church. And we're going to talk about what the local church is, go over that um, and such. So thank you for listening to this. Hope it's been encouraging. Um, Hope you'll study the scriptures and uh, take care and God bless.